0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. When General Eisenhower wanted to demonstrate leadership, he would lay a simple piece of string across the table and he would say, Pull it and it will follow you anywhere. Push it and it will go nowhere at all. The effective leader doesn't push people. He goes out in front of them and he pulls them along. He leads by example. And that's why in Titus chapter 1, when Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in the churches on the island of Crete, the emphasis is not on the job description. The emphasis is on the qualifications. The emphasis is not on the characteristics of the job. The emphasis is on the character of the man. Jim Elliott pointed this same thing out in reference to the mission field. He said so many missionaries intent on doing something for others forget that God's main work is to make something of them. The issue is character. And that's why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. If anybody wants to be an overseer, that's great. But it's not enough. Because he goes on then to give the qualities. And he says his life has to measure up. You see, it's not enough to want it. You have to demonstrate it. And so this morning we're going to look at verses 6 to 9 of Titus chapter 1. And we're going to see here God's measuring stick for an elder in the church. And if you will glance down this list you'll find that there's nothing about natural leadership qualities. There's nothing about aggressiveness, decisiveness, tact, foresight, vision. There's nothing about educational level or social status or business savvy. It doesn't make any difference if you're a CEO or a GED. A person could be a subordinate in the workplace and the leader in the church. Because the bottom line is not natural qualities. It's spiritual qualities. You say, well, why are the qualifications so high? Does God want to have some elite group within the church? No. You see, God knows that people tend to follow their leaders. And that's why so often in the New Testament, we are called sheep. And we see that tendency throughout the Old Testament. When Israel had a bad king the people tended to be sinful when israel had a good king the people followed the lord you see god's standard for elders is high because god's standard for the whole church is high he wants us to follow them into godliness now you also find the qualifications for elders listed in first timothy chapter 3 And there Paul writes to Timothy, who was working with the church at Ephesus. Here it's written to Titus, who is working with churches on the island of Crete. Ephesus was a big city church. Crete had small town churches. But the qualifications are the same. Because God's measure never fluctuates. Doesn't matter how large or how small. Doesn't matter whether it's urban or rural. God requires godly leadership. And so let's look at those qualifications. We can divide them into three areas domestic qualifications, personal qualifications, and doctrinal qualifications. First of all, domestic qualifications. We see those in verse 6, and there are three of them. Number one says he's above reproach. That word means he cannot be called into account. There is nothing to legitimately accuse him of. He is blameless. Now that doesn't mean he's perfect. It means that he doesn't have sinful defects sticking out of his life so that others can question his virtue. And this is a fundamental Qualification of elders. In fact, it's so important that down in verse 7, Paul lists it again. He says, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Why is this so important? Because elders lead by example. And they should be able to say, with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 1, Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. And so the first qualification is that there's nothing for people to point the finger at and say, that is inconsistent. People ought to be pointing the finger and saying, that is a godly man. And that's not just to be his reputation within the church. I love what it says about Timothy in Acts 16.2. It says, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. He had a good reputation both at home and away. And that's to be true of the elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, it says that he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. In every arena, he is to be a man of unquestioned integrity. Someone has said that an ungodly pastor is like a stained glass window. He's a religious symbol that only keeps out the light. Second domestic qualification. He must be the husband of one wife. That phrase literally reads, he is a one-woman man. He is a one-woman kind of man, and that is consistent with the rest of the qualifications because they are all present traits. He's not stressing here his status or his circumstances. He is stressing his character. In fact, the words for husband and wife here are actually the general words for man and woman. He is a one female male. You see, what God is interested in is not somebody who has only one wife, but someone who is totally devoted to the woman who is his wife. See, lots of people have only one wife. That doesn't qualify them for anything. The issue is, is this person totally devoted to that one woman? And that's critical. Because what is it today that plagues church leaders? It's immorality. Now, he's not talking here about polygamy. He's not saying you can't have three wives. Everybody knows that. If somebody had more than one wife, they couldn't even be in the church, much less a leader in the church. And he's not talking here about second marriages. Some people say this means one wife per lifetime. And they apply it by saying, well, if your wife dies and you remarry, then you're not qualified to be an elder. Well, that's not a moral quality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul encouraged those who had lost their spouse to remarry And on that occasion, Paul doesn't warn you. But if you do, you can't be a leader of the church. Other people say, well, this this applies to people who have been divorced and remarried, and that means they're not qualified to be an elder. But you know, the scriptures teach that divorce and remarriage is permissible under the circumstances given in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I don't think the issue here is divorce because this doesn't say one word about divorce. If that was the issue, Paul could have spelled it out. And if someone has been divorced against the, the permissiveness of Scripture or, or against the exceptions given in Scripture, then he will fail not only on this qualification but the first one because he will no longer be above reproach. Some people also say this means that you have to be married to be an elder. But if that's his point, then it wouldn't say one wife, it would say a wife. He has to be the husband of a wife. And if he said that, Paul would be disqualifying himself because he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that he was single. And if you take it that way, you have to not only say he has to be married, but he has to have at least two children because in verse 6 it gives the word children in the plural. And so the issue is not that you have to have a wife, or that you can't have more than one wife at a time, or that you can't have had a different wife before, the issue is that if you have a wife, you're to have unquestioned devotion to her alone. It may be that one man had a divorce 25 years ago before he was saved, and he's been married to his present wife for 15 years, and his devotion to her is obvious. Another man could be married to the same woman for 25 years. And he's always flirting with other women. He's always looking at other women. Which one is disqualified to be an elder? You see, the question is not how many wives has he had. The question is his marital devotion. Is he in love with his wife? Is he crazy about one woman? Is he enthralled with her? You see, that's the qualification for a leader. The Holy Spirit is not just calling for a man who has one wife in his life. He's calling for a man who has one woman in his heart. He is a one-woman man. Third domestic qualification. Having children who believe. You know, more than we care to admit it, the Bible holds parents responsible for their children. And that is one of the measures of leadership. An elder must have children who believe. Now the word translated believe is also translated faithful in the New Testament. And I take it that way on this occasion. It doesn't mean that they are saved because you cannot guarantee that your children are going to be saved. I don't care how good of a father you are, you cannot guarantee salvation for your child. But what it means is that even if they are not saved, they are respectful. And that's consistent with the qualifying statement in verse 6 because he says, you're to have children who are faithful, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. The word dissipation is a word that's associated with drunkenness in Ephesians 5.18. It's associated in 1 Peter 4.4 with all the sensual activities of the unsaved world. In fact, it's the word used of the prodigal son in Luke 15.13 where it says he squandered his estate with loose living, dissipation. The word rebellion used here is the word used for false teachers in verse 10. And it says about them in verse 14 that they turn away from the truth. An elder's children are not to be characterized by rebellious disobedience and immoral behavior. They are to be faithful. And that's consistent with the parallel qualification in 1 Timothy 3, 4, where it says, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Why is that so important? 1 Timothy 3.5 says, If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? If you're going to be a leader, your home is the proving ground. If your own children don't look up to you, how will the children of God look up to you? You know, a classic example is Eli. He was the high priest in Israel. But 1 Samuel 2.12 says his sons were worthless. They would intercept people on their way to the temple and take their sacrifices away so that they couldn't offer them to God. And the Bible says they committed immorality with the women who served in the temple. And you know where God placed the responsibility? On Eli. It says in 1 Samuel 3.13, his sons made themselves contemptible And he failed to restrain them. And as a result, it says that God took the priesthood from Eli and his family forever. Why? Because the weakness that made him a poor father also made him a poor leader. And so the first area of qualifications is domestic qualifications. Second area is personal qualifications. And that's in verses 7 and 8. There are 11 personal qualifications here. He begins in verse 7 with the negative ones. There are five negative personal qualifications. First of all, it says in verse 7, he must not be self-willed. An elder cannot be a person who is headstrong, unyielding, stubborn. He can't be a person who always has to have it his way now when the world is looking for a leader it it often looks for people who are aggressive and self-assertive but you see that characteristic disqualifies you for being a leader in the church because a self-willed person has no place in leadership Peter told the elders in first Peter five three not to be lording it over those allotted to your charge And in 2 Peter 2.10, it says that self-will is one of the characteristics of false teachers. A leader in God's church must be a team player. He must have surrendered his will to God and become submissive to the other leaders. You know, sometimes I feel very strongly about something and the other elders don't See it my way. And you know what I do? I just wait for them to come around. No. If it's God's truth, I will stand my ground. But if it's my preference or my idea, you see, I have to submit because we are co-leaders in God's church. And so the first thing an elder can't have here in the negative personal qualifications is this idea of self-will. Second, verse 7 says he's not quick-tempered. He can't be a hothead. He can't be blowing his top all the time. Someone has said temper is such a wonderful thing that it's a shame to lose it. And that's true. It is a shame to lose it. Because as James says in James 1.20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I can be sure that when I have blown my cool and when I am angry, I am not accomplishing God's righteousness. A quick temper is not a shortcut to accomplishing God's goal. It is a detour in the other direction. And that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Third negative qualification in verse 7. Not addicted to wine. Now the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to drink wine. If so, Paul would have said of the elder, no wine. But he doesn't say that. He says he's not to be addicted. That word means to sit alongside. Wine is not to be his companion. If I was to have a glass of wine for dinner, that's not a sin. But if you come over to my house and I've got a wine cellar and a wine rack and all the wine paraphernalia and I'm sitting with my wine all the time, i got a problem. While it's not necessarily wrong to have a glass of wine, it is wrong to be controlled by wine. It is wrong to stumble my brother by doing that. And it is wrong to become oriented to that as a way of life. If every time you see someone, he's got a glass in his hand, that man is not a leader. Because that is not where God's church is going. Fourth negative characteristic. He is not... Pugnacious. Now that one probably needs no comment, right? Pugnacious means he's not a striker. He doesn't punch people. He's not prone to physical violence. When conflicts arise, they're settled peaceably and reasonably and without animosity. Peter couldn't have been an elder before the Holy Spirit came. He solved problems by pulling out his sword. James and John couldn't have been elders before the Holy Spirit came. They wanted to bring fire out of heaven and consume their enemies. You see, the elder can't be the kind of person who tries to solve things with his fists. You've got a real problem when we start punching out deacons. He's got to be the kind of person who can disagree without being disagreeable. You say, why is that so important with leaders? I mean, we don't have any conflicts in the church, do we? Someone said the trouble with being a leader today is that you can't be sure whether people are following you or chasing you. (laughs) Some people are chasing you and they catch you. Stuart Briscoe gave these tongue-in-cheek qualifications of a pastor. He said he must have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. Fifth negative personal qualification in verse 7, not fond of sordid gain. The word sordid means shameful or dishonest. The elder is not to be one who gets money by dishonest means. He's to get it the old-fashioned way. He's to work for it. He's to be a man of honesty and integrity. Down in verse 11, it says, the false teachers are those who do it for the sake of sordid gain. They will say whatever people want to hear if it sells. And in 1 Timothy 6, 5, Paul says that false teachers suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They are in it for the money. That's not to be true of the godly leader. Peter exhorts the elders in 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. A true elder ought to be able to say with Paul in Acts twenty thirty three, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Well, those are the negative personal qualifications. Now he switches to the positive ones in verse 8, and there are six of those. First of all, he says he must be hospitable. That's the Greek word philosinos, which means to love strangers. You say, my wife is hospitable. She's always having our friends over to dinner. Well, that's wonderful, but that's not really hospitality in the scriptural definition of the word because the word means to love strangers. An elder and his wife must be willing to open their home to people They don't know. If your cousin calls and says, I've never met you before, but I'm traveling through town. I want to stay with you. You would open your home. Well, we have a lot of cousins in the family of God, people we have never met. And the idea is that you have an open house to those kind of people. If I said today we've got some people traveling through, we need somebody to put them up Wednesday and Thursday night, a whole lot of hands ought to go up especially the leaders. Because we are to love strangers and because that house is not ours anyway. We are stewards of it. Second positive personal qualification in verse 8. Loving what is good. A leader loves what is good. Good books, good music, good causes, good things. He surrounds himself with what is good. You know, that requires a choice because you can't love what is good and what is bad. I like what James Strachan said. He said, he, he who is not angry at sin is not in love with virtue. You have to hate what is bad in order to love what is good. You know how you can tell whether you love good, it's often evident by what you find amusing. If you find yourself loving or laughing at evil, bad, negative kind of joking, then you're not loving what is good. That's the qualification here. He loves what's good. He surrounds himself with good things. And the third qualification in verse 8 is, He's sensible. That word's also translated prudent or sober-minded. It speaks of a person who's serious about spiritual things. Someone who is serious about what really matters. I read about a mentor who told a young man, only partly in jest, that he needed two things to be successful in ministry. Gray hair and hemorrhoids. He said, the gray hair will make you look distinguished and the hemorrhoids will make you look concerned. (laughs) Well, the true leader doesn't need hemorrhoids to look concerned because he is concerned about what really matters. He sees the world through the eyes of God and he cares about what God cares about. And then fourthly, in verse 8, he's just. That means he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't ignore sin in a certain family because they're big givers. He's going to do for the family that gives $5 a week what he does for the family that gives $1,000 a week. He's just. Now, he's going to be closer to some people than others. That's obvious. But when it comes time to make judgments... It's according to the Word and not personalities. Fifth qualification in verse 8. He's devout. That's a word that's very similar to the word holy. It means here to be set apart, to be different. He is recognizably different from the world around him. Not by his appearance, but by his personal holiness. He is more concerned about what pleases God than what pleases men. He is making a difference by being different. And then the sixth positive qualification in verse 8. He's self-controlled. He must be disciplined. He must be able to control his bodily appetites. When the flesh says, I can't live without it, the leader says, I must live without it. If he can't control himself, he's not going to lead other people very far. I love the prayer of Sir Alec Patterson. He said, "Oh God, help us to be masters of ourselves that we may be servants of others. The leader, by the fruit of the Spirit of God, has self-control. And then the third area is doctrinal qualifications. And that's in verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. The word holding fast there means to cling to. He's not simply a person who respects the word of God. He's not simply a person who admires the word of God. He's not simply a person who says all the right things about the word of God. You're not looking for a person who just says, I believe in the inspiration, inerrancy, authority, sufficiency of Scripture. He is a person who clings to the Word of God. He holds to it. He trusts in it. It's his confidence. It's the only thing that matters. Why is that so important? Because he's got to do two things, it says in verse 9. So that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict he has to exhort that word means to call alongside to call people alongside and give them sound doctrine the word sound is the Greek word from which we get our in English word hygienic it means healthy he calls people alongside and he gives them healthy teaching that enables them to grow spiritually but then he has to do another thing he has to refute And that means to speak against. To speak against those who contradict. See, that's the job of a shepherd. He feeds the sheep and he also protects them from predators. There's the qualifications. I would suggest that you think through these qualifications, pray through these qualifications. There may be some men in our body today who have not been recognized yet as elders who fit these qualifications. And we may be asking you soon to give us your input on who may already be made an elder by the Holy Spirit operating in our midst that needs to be recognized. Meanwhile, our prayer is that God would help our present elders to measure up to God's qualifications and to be men who cling to the Word of God so that the flock might follow their example and be fed healthy teaching and protected from false teaching. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage today. We thank You for these qualifications which are for leaders in the church, but we realize, Father, they're really the qualifications for every one of us because You want us to arrive there And you want us to be led there by those that you've placed in leadership. And so, Father, we examine each of our hearts today to see where you want to mold us and make us more like you. And, Father, we pray that as we go from here today, we might make a difference in our world because you have made us different. We pray in Jesus' name.